Hey, it's Alex. Welcome back to Higher Lovin', the show about creating highly conscious relationships. If you missed episode one, you might want to circle back and start there. If you were with me last time, you already know that I was in love and I was in trouble. I loved her so deeply. I think my soul knew hers. We were passionate and playful and tender together. And yet, for all the depth of our connection, we caused each other so much pain. We triggered each other's trauma spaces over and over again. Not because we were a bad match, but because intimate relationships invite us to do deep healing work. Join me for episode two, as I receive the gift of the mirror and the angels start to teach me how to love with consciousness. Chapter 6. The Purpose of Pain You hurt. You're human. Pain is, in some ways, the human condition. But, and it's a big but, the purpose of pain is not pain. We don't experience pain because we are bad, because we've done something wrong, because we are receiving divine judgment or karmic payback. Instead, it's quite the opposite. When we experience emotional pain, physical pain too, right? But that's not the focus of this particular discussion. When we experience emotional pain, it's always an invitation to healing. We hurt And that is our spirit sending up signals of distress saying, look here, pay attention, something needs to be addressed. Pain is a red flag from our soul, like a red traffic light, like the flashing lights of the barrier that prevents us from crossing the railroad tracks when a train is bearing down. Pain serves to get our attention. This is true of all kinds of pain, but in this book, I will focus primarily on emotional pain, the heartache that arises when our interactions with our beloved trigger our deepest wounding. Most often, our pain wants our attention because there is something we need to heal, some piece of programming from our past, whether from our childhood in this lifetime or from one or more of our previous lifetimes, that needs to be addressed. The deeper the wounding is buried and the greater the trauma was, the more pain it kicks up for our grown-up selves when situations arise that trigger it. I want you to know this about your pain. It has a purpose. It has a great and significant purpose. You can learn to hear and address your pain in ways that will help you to heal your underlying trauma, and as you do so, the intensity and frequency of the pain will diminish. Of course, right about now, I expect that most of you want to know exactly how to release your pain. That's a very reasonable and very human question. It hurts. How do we make it stop hurting? In my experience, our deepest wounds take repeated attention to heal. You will likely revisit your, your core soul issues over and over, each time healing a new layer of pain until you have shifted the bulk of it. This process does take time. A new mental awareness of the truth of your situation is a huge step forward, however, and that is the primary purpose of this book 
to give you a new mental framework within which to view your intimate partnerships. It is my belief that this information alone will bring you significant relief, but luckily there are many ways to find support as you embody this information. From traditional therapy to energy medicine and energy psychology modalities such as Reiki, EMDR, EFT, and others. So please bear with me. Before you can step into the how, before you can take action, you must first shift your mental understanding of what is happening in your relationship when you fight with your partner. Chapter 7. It's actually not about her. As I look at the face of my beloved, there are moments when love is not the predominant energy between us, moments when what she says invalidates, wounds, or angers me. These hurtful moments run from small things, little pinpricks that I can soothe even as they are happening to me, to much larger moments, moments when circumstances and alcohol combine and my partner lashes out at me with the intention to wound her deep knowledge of me making her arrows hit the bullseye every time. It would be easy to tell my best friend about these moments. You won't believe what she's done now. Can you believe what she just said to me? I am sure you have listened to family members and friends vent about their partners in just this way. Probably you yourself have done some venting. And if I said those things to my best friend describing moments of conflict I have had with my lover, as all those in relationship must inevitably have moments of conflict, my BFF might say to me, Alex, you don't need to put up with this. Or maybe, oh, I'm so sorry you had to endure that. You deserve better. My BFF might even counsel me to end the relationship because what was said or done was so egregious. I might counsel myself to end things, and in fact there have been moments in the last year when I have done so, as there have been moments when my beloved thought about ending things with me. All of this venting and the sympathetic support of our confidants is instinctive, natural, and caring, and it entirely misses the point of the pain. You see, relationship pain is ubiquitous but not without purpose. There is a deep cosmic purpose for these moments of conflict with our most intimate partners, and it actually has absolutely nothing to do with them. It's all about us. Here is what I know to be true. Chapter 8. This Mirror Between Us The emotions are overwhelming. Rage and pain Invalidation, betrayal, and heartbreak cascade over me. These are not my emotions. They belong to the client in the reading space who is discussing her marriage, which she is thinking of ending. As I listen to her, the angels send me a steady stream of information. I get pictures and words and insights. As my client alternately sobs and speaks, I receive a clear understanding of the way her personal wounding is being lit up by her husband's behavior. This is not unusual. This is the work I do on a daily basis as a psychic reader and energy healer. But then the angels take things a step further. They show me the mirror and it changes everything. 
I see an image of my client and her husband facing each other, a few feet of space between them. They are talking to and interacting with each other. Each of them has been wounded. Each of them believes the other person to be the source of their pain, but the energetic reality is stunningly different. Between my client and her husband, there is a huge, invisible, energetic mirror. On one side of the mirror, my client is locked in an energetic bubble that contains her entire emotional and metaphysical experience in this relationship. On the other side of the mirror, her husband stands inside his own energetic space. Bubble, mirror, bubble. That's how things are arranged. My client perceives that her husband has hurt her. She tells me of his transgressions and of the conflict between them. Her pain is overwhelming. She has had about all that she can stand. What she does not know, what the angels begin to explain to her through me, is that none of my client's pain comes from her husband. As she faces her husband, she believes she is looking at him, but she is merely looking at her own energetic reflection in the mirror between them. Her entire experience of the relationship exists on her side of the mirror. And on the other side of the mirror, her husband's experience is entirely his own. None of his pain is caused by her behavior, although he fully believes it is. In that moment, my understanding of the dynamics of relationships completely shifted. I already knew that our intimate relationships illuminate our wounding so that we may choose to heal. What I did not know was how completely that process has to do with us and how metaphysically separate our experience is from our partners. Let's unpack this. I don't want to go into detail about my client's wounding, so I'm going to use my own. One of my deepest wounds is not being seen for who I truly am, and more than that, not being allowed to be who I truly am. <laughs> Let's call that invalidation. My mother is my number one fan and my number one invalidator. She loves me, she really does, but she doesn't understand me, and she has never given up trying to form me into the daughter she wants me to be. For the most part, I have learned to not let that bother me, but in the moment I am about to describe, it still does. The sunshine warms my face and glints off the brilliant copper surface of my horse's flanks. I watch his happiness as he devours the green grass and wildflowers. I hold the end of the lead rope and follow him as he grazes slowly across the lawn. My mother's voice comes through my headset. I have been talking to her for a long time, on the hour-long drive to the barn, then as I gathered the halter and lead and brought my horse out of his stall. He has been grazing steadily for some time, and we are still talking. That sounds like something I would hear on Oprah, my mother says to me. Yeah, it does, I agree. I'm a world-class psychic. I'm good enough to be on Oprah, and maybe someday I will. Oh, I hope not, my mother says fervently, anguish in her voice. Oh, I really hope not. My mother has been trying for two hours to convince me I should leave the word angels off my website. She tells me I would reach a lot more people if I didn't use that word. 
She once again goes through her reasoning about why angels are not real. She tells me she has a problem with psychics. They are all frauds. She believes that the woman who taught me to connect with my clairvoyance ruined my life. She wonders out loud why my life took such a wrong turn. I was once so promising. I think she thinks I am mentally ill. I listen to her. I interrupt her sometimes. I disagree with what she says is true. I raise my voice. Finally, she says, just think about what I've said. That's all I ask. No, I tell her, I'm not going to think about it. I'm very proud of my courage and my voice in that moment. Time was I would have placated my mother and said, yes, I'll think about it. But today, I don't. I don't need to think about it, I continue. This is who I am. This is the work I am here to do in this lifetime. This is the core of who I am. My mother is outraged. I'm a little pissed off by the conversation, but also I'm laughing. She so completely cannot see who I am. Once upon a time, that would have completely derailed me, but today I am almost amused. My mother can say anything she likes. She has no power over how I experience her words on my side of the mirror. It's possible for her to say something small and for my emotional reaction to be huge because her tiny comment has hit a very sensitive spot. Equally, it's possible for her to say something enormous like, I hope you are never on Oprah, which is the same thing as saying, I hope you are never widely recognized for your talent and for the work you do, and for me to be only slightly triggered by it. You see, my mother has no control over how I feel. She can't make me feel anything I choose not to feel. My emotional experience takes place entirely on my side of the mirror. All of the healing work I have done has left me much less reactive to my mother's invalidation. On that sunny afternoon, I am perhaps 20% triggered by my mother's incredible invalidation of me, whereas once I would have been 100% triggered by a conversation like that. What did I need to heal? I needed to heal the place in me that didn't feel like I was good enough, not pretty enough, not sexy enough, not lovable enough. I need to heal my deep, deep insecurity so that I could stand up in public and proclaim that I channel angels, that I believe in fairies, that I can talk to Jesus and the divine feminine and the divine masculine energies we call God. I needed to learn to validate myself so completely that other people's opinions have little power to rock me. I've been doing that work in therapy and meditation for almost 20 years, and I've come a very long way. Thus, my ability to hear my mother out without dissolving into tears or rage. That's the way the metaphysical mirror works. We, when we stand face to face with our lover or our mother, we may be looking at our loved one, but the mirror shows us only ourselves, our healing and our wounding both, illuminated by the relationship we are in. That's good news, really it is. If our emotional reality is contained in the energetic bubble that is our experience of the relationship, then we can pretty much take our focus off of our partner. We can turn the lens of our attention back to where it belongs. 
we can shine a light on ourselves. This is huge. We have no control over our partners anyway. So if we need them to change in order for us to be happy in the relationship, then we are doomed from the start. On the other hand, if we understand what the mirror says is true, then we don't have to change one hair on our partner's dysfunctional head. We can simply thank them for reflecting back to us the ways in which we need to change. We can separate our reactions from their actions and take responsibility for only our half of the dance. And we can understand our beloved in a whole new way. Chapter 9. Behind the mirror lies only pain. Let's rewind a few months to that fraught time when my partner and I still shared the same living space in our first brief attempt to live together. I watch my partner as she paces through our small apartment. Bottle of beer in one hand, she is lecturing me, raising her voice, haranguing. I feel there is absolutely no truth in the accusation she is making, but nothing I say seems to reach her, and the one-sided conversation has been going on for some time. Several hours, at least. It's late. I'm not enjoying this. I have things to do tomorrow. I need to get to sleep. What are my emotions as I interact with my partner in this moment? I am hurt. After all I have done to show up for her, to prioritize this relationship, it feels unfair. A part of me is angry. I feel trapped by her emotions. I silently endure her harangue, tears running unnoticed down my cheeks, and then I lose my temper and start yelling back at her. I tell her to leave me the fuck alone so I can sleep, and eventually she does. This is a perfect example of the mirror between us. My partner's actions are hers and hers alone. She is not making me feel invalidated, rejected, betrayed, not good enough. I am doing that to myself, allowing her her words to ignite my childhood wounds. Truly, no one makes us feel anything, ever. Other people simply offer us actions and words, and it is we ourselves alone that choose what to make of the words, but more about that later. On her side of the mirror, as on mine, there is only pain. Yes, she is lashing out at me. That's what we do when we can't stand the pain we are feeling. We throw it at someone else in a desperate and futile attempt to get rid of it. And the emotional venting often does relieve the pressure of the pain for a time. But let's not focus on the venting right now, but simply on the pain. In this moment, my partner is feeling pain because something I have inadvertently done or said has triggered a deep insecurity, a wounding in her. Not a small wound either from the sounds of things. She has not yet figured out that she has control over how I make her feel. No judgment on that. At this moment in our relationship, before I was shown the mirror, I hadn't embodied that either. She is feeling pain and trying to deal with that pain at what she believes is the source of it, which is to say, me. After all, it is my actions and my words that have betrayed her, right? 
You and I, dear reader, are beginning to understand that this is not true, but at this moment she does not, so she is feeling deep anguish and pain at my transgressions, whatever they are. And what's beneath the pain, you might wonder? Ah, good question. As far as I can tell, if we look beneath the pain, we will always find fear. In my partner's case, probably fear of being abandoned as she was abandoned as a child. Fear of being unwelcome, unworthy, not good enough. Fear of losing me, even as her actions attempt to push me away. White-knuckled, stomach-churning fear, and the deep traumatic pain she experienced as a child resurfacing again because of the conflict between us. As I write this, I have such compassion for her, truly. I can see her anguish was not really about me. She was rocked to the core and merely trying to cope with it. She has incredible emotional endurance, my partner has, or she wouldn't still be here walking around on the planet. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that the more emotional volatility your partner has, the more he or she has been wounded as a child. Sometimes, too, the wounding extends back many lifetimes. The more you can see the mirror at play between you and her or you and him, the less personally you will take your partner's actions. As you understand that your wounding is your wounding, that you are responsible for 100% of what happens on your side of the mirror and 0% of what happens on your partner's side of the mirror, you can begin to see with empathy and compassion how your partner is locked in his or her own holographic experience. It looks like it is about you. He or she might believe it is entirely about you, but it's not. It's not about you. Watch how the mirror works and you will come to see that what I am saying is true. It's precisely this understanding, when we are able to embody it, that sets us free. Chapter 10. Compassion is the only answer I can have. If her side of the mirror holds only fear and pain, then the only response I can have to her wounding is acceptance without judgment, which is to say, compassion. Before I understood the mirror, I met my partner's wounding with anger, with blame, with all the intensity of my own unhealed emotions. I was a master of you, you, you. You made me feel this way. You didn't take care of me. You don't see me for who I am. We all know that space of venting, of attacking the other for all the ways in which they failed to soothe us, failed to help us know we are worthy and loved. The mirror allows for no such inaccuracy. The mirror shows me only and entirely my own wounding, and all I can witness for her is the truth of her universe of pain. I know her challenges have nothing to do with me, I have embodied this wisdom completely. I can see her pain. I can see how my reactions to her are entirely mine. Compassion is the only answer I can have for both of us. This understanding has done much to quiet the beast in my belly. 
If my pain is fully mine, if her pain is only hers, then I am not so broken. I am not so lacking in value. I am not unworthy. My self-esteem detaches from her. My value is not hers to determine. Oh, what a relief. You see, when I gave my partner my soul to value, then moment by moment I was uncertain of how much I was worth. When she stroked me, I blossomed. When she invalidated me, I shriveled. Even as I knew better than to sustain this dynamic, I could not seem to break free. But now, now I am independently worthy. As my value is no longer at the mercy of her love, I can step back from the edge of the mirror into a space of emotional safety. Because I am safe, I can see her side of things differently. I no longer need her to change in order for me to feel safe. I am safe no matter how she treats me. This truth frees my spirit, my heart, to look at her with love, deep acceptance, and utter compassion. To be human is hard, and her journey has been one of the more difficult. Her needs no longer have to wrestle for dominance with mine. Oh, they still do from time to time, but I am shifting that. I can hold deep compassion for us both. Compassion is an infinite energy. Let's take this one step further. There's wounding and there's wounding. There is the wounding that comes when an enabler is partnered with a narcissist. As I embody the truth of the mirror, I am able to forgive my previous partner, the woman I was with for nearly 25 years. I can forgive her for her fear, which made it impossible for her to change. I can forgive myself for living so long with the thin crumbs of love she was able to give me. I have not, however, experienced physical abuse. I was not violated or molested, either as a child or as an adult. Could I forgive those things? Such actions are not right. There is no model of tolerance that says we must or should excuse the actions that come from a person's pain. However, I think it is possible to find deep soul compassion for the narcissist and even for the abuser. Because I can understand the pain on the other side of the mirror, I can see the narcissist with compassion and the wife beater, the sex addict, even the child abuser. The jealous man who kills his own wife, how much pain does he carry? What anguish is he trying to silence? This compassion doesn't mean that acts of violence are okay. It doesn't mean I condone or want to experience such atrocities. I will still step in and do my utmost to protect a child from any of these abusive situations. Violence, child sexual abuse, wife battering, these actions are entirely and obviously unacceptable. The mirror shows me, however, that perpetrators carry their own pain, perhaps more of it than I can begin to imagine. I can disagree with their actions while reaching out to rock their souls. Are there any humans beyond the veil of this compassion? Honestly, I don't know. 
My human mind can only stretch so far. Maybe over time I will come to see the limits or limitlessness of this conversation more clearly. Chapter 11 And what if we forgive it all? Let's set aside for the moment the far reaches of our ability to forgive. Let's look instead at the more common everyday transgressions of a typical relationship. Given the wisdom of the mirror, could we forgive our partner for acts of infidelity? My answer is yes, I think we could. A number of my clients have partners who could be labeled as sex addicts. My client's inner wisdom and my psychic abilities combine to make us fairly certain that these husbands, it was husbands in the cases I'm thinking of, but I'm sure it could also be wives, have been unfaithful to their wives. It's easy to blame, blame, blame those actions. It's easy to say, that's it, we're done. I can't take any more of this from you. I would have said that too just a few short months ago. No, my beloved did not cheat on me. We did have some difficult moments, moments that rocked me to the core, that made me doubt our future together as lovers. One such moment was that which sent me running out of the house in the middle of the night, the incident with which this book opens. I'm not sharing the details of that moment. My lover has a right to some privacy for her pain. I've shared as little as possible of her story in the pages of this book, just enough for you to understand my journey. Suffice it to say that, for a time, I counted the number of those deeply painful moments, not just one night, but two, then four, then eight of them. I did truthfully hold those times against her, storing them up as proof that she was perhaps not the woman I was meant to be with. Dear reader, I didn't know anything else to do with those experiences. To me, they seemed so off the charts that I judged myself for my willingness to stay in the relationship, to stay heart open to her despite them. I'm so glad I did. Because one day, Rather out of the blue, I felt the energy of blame simply leave me. I let those moments go, shedding all the judgment I had been holding for both of us. It just fell away. Those moments no longer mattered. I forgave completely. I believe that moment of forgiveness was in preparation for receiving the wisdom of the mirror as I now understand it. Dear reader, what has your significant other done to you? Can you see how he or she has acted simply out of fear and pain? Can you find a place of compassion within you and forgive everyone involved for their very human, very limited ability to cope with pain? I'm not suggesting you forgive the actions, but the person, yes. He or she is still a child of God, no matter what they have done. We can denounce the actions while holding the individual in deep, unconditional love. That's all any of us want, isn't it? Simply to feel lovable. Simply to feel loved. Simply to feel safe. Chapter 12. After forgiveness, what? 
So where does this leave us? Before I answer that question, I'd like to remind you again that all the compassion in the world does not invite you to stay in a physically dangerous relationship. And even more than that, the awareness that this book brings does not mean that you need to stay in the relationship you are currently in. If you are considering leaving your partner, that may be your fear speaking, or it may be exactly what your soul is calling you to do. Simply because you can learn to feel immense compassion and deep spiritual understanding of the soul level dynamics between you and your partner, it does not necessarily follow that every relationship will or is supposed to endure. I'll write more about that in a later chapter. For now, suffice it to say that the angels are not telling you to stay put, but neither are they telling you to leave. Can you, assuming you are physically safe, not worry about the ultimate fate of your relationship for the moment? That will go a long way towards helping you and your partner, should they be reading this with you, feel safe. There will be time enough to consider next steps and actions when you have had time to sit with and process the information in the rest of this book. Beloved, if you are reading this, there is not one part of me considering leaving you. The truth of the mirror has changed everything between us. So I'll ask again, where does this leave us? As we begin to process and embody the truth of the mirror as the angels are unpacking it, I fully believe that this information leaves us in a place where all of our assumptions about relationships are called into question. Doesn't it change everything to know that your partner is not the one hurting you? That he or she is merely brushing up against the wounded place that was already inside of you? But where did that wounded place come from? Are you scarred because your mother couldn't fully love you? Probably, but then we can see the mirror of that relationship. The mirror between you and your mother or father illuminates only your pain and theirs. They didn't intentionally fail to love you. They simply did the best they could. And their very human inadequacy triggered that place in you that felt you weren't enough. At this point, it becomes a bit of a chicken and an egg pattern. Did your mother create your wounding or did she merely activate the wounding that you were born with? I suspect it is the latter or perhaps both. At the very least, knowledge of the mirror allows us to see our parents with the compassion they deserve. No humans are fully healed. We are all fucked. We are all worthy. Please excuse my language, but that phrase is exactly how I first heard the angels speak it. The very intensity of the language seeks to capture the reality of the pain and the relief of realizing that we are only human, and luckily, perfection is not demanded or desired of us. The chapters you have read in this section of the book serve as an introduction to the concept of the metaphysical mirror between you and your beloved in any intimate relationship. We may not answer every question you have, but the angels and I do have more to unpack for you. In the next section, the angels and I will pull apart some of the details of exactly how the mirror works in your relationship. We'll show you what the mirror looks like in action, not pretty, but important to understand. We'll talk more about how two intimate partners communicate 
and we'll start to explore the positive applications of the mirror and how to use this knowledge to make changes not only in how you see your partner, but in how you see, accept, and love yourself. Before moving on to the next section, we invite you to pause for a moment and reflect on your awakenings, your questions, and any confusions you may have. And if those questions and confusions aren't resolved by the end of this book, I invite you to reach out and share them with me so that I can both respond to you and also add clarity to future editions of this book. Hey, it's Alex. (laughs) Take a nice deep breath in. (sighs) And exhale. All is well. I'll see you again soon for the next episode. Take good care.